Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's number one favourite cricket show. <laughs> is, that, is that official? I don't know. The world's only cricket podcast. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm back in charge of both hosting and editing this one. Uh, and with me as always is a right little twerp by the name of Tony Kerr. Watch up. Can't get out, mate. I can say what I like on here. You've got no control. Yeah, true. Well, Ashes Daily, sure, that's your domain. This is the, the main show, isn't it? The flagship show. That's when you need the, the big guns to step in. Yeah, I kind of feel like the main, the sort of main long format show is, is the sort of test cricket. And I'm, uh, and in terms of hosting, given the kind of captaincy for the, for the shorter stuff, you know, that's the sexy, that's where the money is, really, isn't it now? <laughs> so enjoy, enjoy. Enjoy this, uh, you know, the, the, the test match podcast while you can, mate, because I'm coming for you. It's a dying format, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Mate, when you look at the, when you look at the, the demographics, Ashes Daily was just, was just hitting the sweet spot. The kids, the mothers, you know, <laughs> yeah. the families. Yeah, it was great. It was really hitting that 18 to 35 <laughs> target market that we're really going after. Exactly. And are still a part of ourselves. Very much so, yes. Smack bang in the middle of it. How's it going anyway, Tim? We've got a lot of cricket to talk about yeah. tonight, haven't we? Um, but it's, it's good to talk to you. Listeners can probably hear we're, uh, we're doing this on Zoom again. We were, we were all set up to record this in person and then you, you bailed at the last minute. Um, so we're, we're, we're back on the phone. Yeah, I quite enjoy it. It's nice, you know. You can just sort of fucking slouch. Getting, yeah. not, not getting nagged to sit up straight and all this kind of stuff well that's yeah that's that's usually me when i come around I'm like, tuck your shirt in sit up straight <laughs> uh well yeah i'm recording this at home i'm not in the phone box you know i i, I just kind of i spend most of my days in the phone box now tone it's just a good place to hang out <laughs> it's a safe space yeah well i just i just get a lot of stuff done i just go and make all my prank calls um just <laughs> just prank calling all day basically but for the podcast, I've uh, I've returned home. I've returned to my home to record. So yeah, we have uh, we've got a lot of cricket to talk about tonight because it's finished. Tony, it's done. The Ashes are finally over. England have been put out of their misery, and uh, Australia's jubilation is complete as they won the final test to wrap up a four nil series victory. They'll be having work events in the streets of Hobart, Tone. Get the topical it? stuff. Bit of political satire there for you. There might be a few test cricketers getting involved as well. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was going to make a topical satirical joke on Twitter about that, about Eng- England players at a bit of a rowdy work event. But then I couldn't be bothered. And I thought other people had probably done it already. I am getting quite annoyed already. I mean, lots of things annoy us on Twitter, but I'm getting particularly annoyed at the moment about but almost anything you open, any tweet you click on, it's just sort of get a flavour of a few of the replies. The first one is, oh, I thought it was a work event, or it was a work event. That's like the go-to gag, and you wonder, that might kind of well persist forever, I think, at this point. Yeah, well, I've certainly made one on the podcast already, like, <laughs> unironically yeah. made a work event joke there. I just think for, for yeah, for, for decades now, if anyone walks into a party, they're going to go, oh, is this a work event? <laughs> well, I'm all over that. I'm, in, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to really ready, enjoy yeah, that. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. So let's plenty get, let's of, get this work event started. Plenty of ashes to talk about. We also need to have a quick chat about a fascinating series that's played out down in South Africa. I mean, arguably, this is the, the, the better, more 
uh, interesting, enjoyable test series that's happened. And we're probably going to devote like four minutes to it at the end. But um, yeah, obviously South Africa taking on India. So we need to talk about that. And Virat Kohli stepped down as India captain as well. But we'll come back to that. Start with the Ashes, our, our final podcast on the Ashes uh, this year. Because, yeah, after some, uh, some flickers of hope for England uh, in the early stages of the game, um, it was extremely grim viewing in the final stages of the fifth test in Hobart. Shocking tone, startling, unforgivable. And that's just Rory Burns's hair. On the pitch, things deteriorated pretty quickly. Uh, we've obviously talked about this on Ash's Daily Tone uh, and I imagine people may have followed it in some other form too. Uh, but just to quickly recap, Australia batting first. Well, they were in all kinds of trouble early doors. They were 12 for three. They were then 83 for four. Uh, but a, a very brisk partnership between Cameron Green, who made 74, and Travis Head, uh, a scintillating century. His second of the series, 101 from 113 balls, uh, propelled Australia up to a total of 303 at a run rate of four just 75 overs. And that felt like considerably more than a pass score on what was a, a reasonably lively wicket uh, with the pink ball as well. England in response, uh, lost early wickets again. Australia continually chipped away. Chris Wokes top scored with 36, which tells a story in itself as they were all out for 188. Pat Cummins taking four wickets and Mitchell Stark three. In the third innings of the game, well, England did fight back. Mark Wood with an absolutely brilliant spell of bowling. He took six for 37 to skittle Australia out for 155. Um, there was a bit of a fight back from 59 for five with Alex Carey making 49, his top score of the series. Uh, but it did feel like England were back in the game somewhat. However, it was still a, a, a target that always looked very steep indeed at 271. But Rory Burns and Zach Crawley got England off to a very good start. Far and away the best opening partnership of the series for England. They, they got to 68 without loss before Rory Burns was out to the, the last ball before T on the third day. And after that, it all fell apart very quickly. Uh, England losing all 10 wickets for 56 runs to be all out for 124 uh, with three wickets apiece for Cummins, Boland and Cameron Green. So... As I say, it fell apart pretty quickly. Tony, it was England's so losing ten wickets like that constitute England's worst collapse, worst ten wicket collapse in Australia since the fifties, I think. And it happened so quickly. I so I I took my son, I took Teddy to soft play on Sunday morning, uh, and I, just as I was leaving the house, I was like, I'll just watch one more ball. Rory Burns was out. Uh, by the time I got to the soft play, <laughs> I think two or three more wickets have fallen. And by the time I got home, it was all over. And we were only there for about an hour. Um, so I missed the whole thing. I was at the soft play tone. I was, I was, uh, I was stuck in uh, soft play. <laughs> I was just picturing you, just the, the, the juxtaposition of, of, yeah, England's misery being sort of piled on in kind of quick succession down in Hobart with you with your sort of grinning face on the big slide, the soft play, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just the, having the whale of a time. And then well, you know, yeah, you're getting home to find reality bites. Having a whale of a time on the slide, but then sort of trapped in a small tunnel. Um, it was, it was kind of <laughs> a bit of a metaphor, really, isn't it? Um, it was just it kind sounds of harrowing. I don't know why people go to these things. Stuck in their phrase. I was going to, I was 
stumbling before because I was about to make a reference to a Peppa Pig episode where they get to soft play, but then I thought you might not know what I'm talking about there. You might not get that reference. But anyway, with it, they, all the grown-ups always get stuck in the soft play, and that, that actually happens to me. We can talk about Peppa Pig another time. I'm sure they've got massive, you know, the sort of evil Peppa Pig core. I've got lots of lawyers who would come and, <laughs> would come and bash me, but... Well, it's yeah, another anyway, very, we'll, we'll come um, back to that. It's another very topical, satirical reference, that as well, isn't it? But anyway, so it all, it all happened very quickly. So, yeah, it was kind of cricket on fast forward. Um, and it, it fast forwarded through to humiliation again for England. Um, all right. Give us some reaction then, Tone. What, what did you make of, of this, this final humiliation? Yeah, it was car crash cricket, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it's sort of fitting. And we spoke about it on Ashes Daily. You know, you were you were slightly concerned that if England showed some resistance, it might gloss over the failings again. But actually, in the end, and um, at sixty-eight for none, you know, you do, you get suckered in, don't you? It, it, you know, you see kind of Burns and Crawley, um, you know, and Crawley's sort of showed flashes of of, of, of nice stuff, hasn't he? And since he came back into the side, and and Burns recalled and and, and looking fairly comfortable. Albeit, you sort of know that you know the, the gloom is setting in, the lights are getting brighter, and the, the sort of darkness is is taking over. Um, you do get sucked in, and it's it's it, I don't know. It's it's almost exposes the human, or the sort of patheticness of the human psyche to a certain extent. <laughs> Despite all evidence and like overwhelming kind of um, yeah data from the last few weeks, I still thought, oh, you know what, this could be a great finish here. And then, yeah, as you say, kind of an hour and a half later, it was all over. It's, it's amazing that from that good position, it got even worse than it had been before. So, uh, and in double quick time. So, yeah, I don't think, I think there's no danger of, of this being glossed over or, or certainly of the Ferrari from the sort of cricket public and the, the, you know, the sort of test cricket loving public in England and, you know, the sort of uh, the lion's share of journalists as well, it seems, you know, they're not going to let it go. I don't think at this point, um, unless, the, unless there's some significant changes are made. I mean, the issue is, and we'll come on to it, I'm sure, like what are the changes that need to be made? Because no one, everyone's saying, you know, this, that, and the others is potentially wrong, but th- there aren't really any solutions around at the moment. So yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit, but um, yeah, I think the ECB will have a, a hard time sort of digging their way out of this one or, or kind of burying their head in the sand and hoping to to get to the West Indies kind of unscathed. Yeah, I certainly know what you mean about the, the patheticness of the human condition. It, uh, absolutely pitiful from me, again, that, you, <laughs> that, that, yeah, you start to think, oh, maybe, maybe. Uh, and then you think, oh, why, why was I thinking maybe? But actually, having said that, I mean, obviously it has... It, it, it did end in, in absolutely wretched fashion and as, as bad as it's been all tour. But until that final couple of hours, like this, this was actually, this was a pretty decent game. This, like, I think this was probably the best, well, this def- definitely for me, the best test match of the series in the sense that it actually felt like a test match, you know, it felt if, which the previous one did to some extent, but it, you know, it did feel like there was some kind of contest happening. Um, and, you know, obviously England came back well in the third innings of the game and bowled Australia out and gave themselves a, a target, which at least in theory was chaseable. Now, I don't, you know, realistically, I don't think we ever thought that was going to happen. At, at least we were starting to maybe believe at 68 for none. But at the start of the chase, we weren't, we had no expectation that that could happen because of what had happened in the, earlier in the series. But um, 
as I say, at least on the face of it, you think, well, that's, that's a game of cricket, isn't it? <laughs> um, so it was a, you know, in, in some sense, it was a bit of a better performance from England and we can, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more, but like Mark Wood was obviously fantastic. So there were like isolated bright spots in this game, but it's nowhere near enough, is it? Because it's, it's the fifth game after four absolutely, you know, desperate performances and it's, and it ended in, as you say, as desperate a batting display as we've seen. As I say, it probably deserved to be a six nil already, didn't it, on the you know, on the balance of play. Six nil would not have flattered in a five match series, <laughs> six nil would not have flattered Australia. <laughs> yeah, a way a good point made. I can't remember who made this point on Twitter. Um but yeah that because England uh got uh points deduction or point penalty in the world test championship for slow over rate um not only did they not gain any points in this series they actually lost point they've left australia <laughs> with fewer points than they had when they arrived they would have been better off just forfeiting the series 5-0 and staying at home yeah i mean it's 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 utterly utterly desperate and it does beg the question tone and we we kind of talked about this earlier in the series but you know because like this is this is 15 tests in a row that England have you know have failed to win in Australia it's the third tour in a row that's ended in a in a totally one-sided result and you know again England were not in any of these games at all and they weren't really on the previous tour or the one before that and it does beg the question is the Ashes actually any good I mean we you know we had quite high expectation or quite high hopes or at least we were excited about it coming in weren't we but was that looking back was that sort of uh, was that foolhardy, foolishly optimistic? Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely appears so. I won't be listening back to our Ashes preview anytime soon. I mean, yeah, when you, I mean, when you look at the the raw numbers in front of you, I mean, England have only won once in Australia, effectively, in our lifetime. Well, in your lifetime, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm that much older than you. Um, I, I was just around to see the uh, the eighty six eighty seven victory. Not that yeah, I remember a huge amount of that. You remember that well, do you? But yeah, uh, like since then, England have won one once in nine tours. I mean, not won many test matches in that. Obviously, the, the kind of, everyone, as everyone has pointed out, you know, 2010-11 looks like such a ridiculous outlier at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable, actually, that we kind of, we, we as England have kind of uh, continued to get up for this event. Uh, and Ashes down under, it's amazing that it's still, you know, you, you sort of, I don't know. Even though it's been so miserable for so long, effectively, you still think of like, oh yeah, you know, the Boxing Day test at the MCG and all these like, you know, the kind of the illustrious kind of historic grounds in Australia. And it, yeah, it's kind of easy to get sort of swept up in it. Having, you, I think four years is probably long enough to sort of forget. It's probably the, the sort of perfect life cycle. I, I guess it's probably the same, isn't it, with, um, you know, England at a Football World Cup. It's like, I don't know if it's by accident or design, you know, the, the, these four-year cycles, but it just seems like just about just about the right amount of time to uh, for the wounds to heal and you kind of to get optimistic again. Um, I mean, yeah, it was really pretty wet, wasn't it? That like the, the end of the Test match. I mean, obviously the wickets, the last couple of wickets that fell were, and you can't really blame England's bottom order for just kind of going and trying to flay it around, although it did come across as rather. 
limp and pathetic the way that those last couple of wickets were given away. And then the celebrations, you know, just, I don't know. I don't, the Australian players just didn't seem, I mean, they're obviously pleased, but, you know, it's not much of a spectacle, is it? Um, good luck to the, you know, good luck to the marketers who will sell it again in four years' time. I mean, having said that, you know, there's always, I'm sure there's always going to be a big crowd that turns up to watch England get humiliated in Australia. Um, you know, the crowd in Hobart, obviously first test for Hobart, um, turned out in, in pretty decent numbers um, and, and presumably would have been more had it not been for the, the pandemic and the, and, and the sort of situation on the ground there. So... I don't know. Does it, I suppose that my, my riposte to your question is, I suppose, does it need to be any good at this point? I mean, we'd like it to be good, but it probably, you know, on the basis of what we've seen over the last decade or three, you know, it, it's kind of, it's sustaining itself in, 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 yeah, with very little kind of competitive cricket to, to get stuck into. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, you know, how many good Ashes series have there been in the last 20 years? You know, maybe three possibly four you know obviously 2005 2019 2009 these are all in England and then you know we would probably chuck in 2010 11 but that I don't know whether that's just because that's the one that England won in Australia how good a series it was for the neutrals better than this obviously but but you know might not be that memorable I don't know I might be misremembering this but I feel I I think I feel differently now to how I did four years ago as you say, it's like, I mean, it, it, it's obviously, yeah, kind of billed as one of the great occasions in sport and we always get excited about it. But the last three tours, as you say, have been utterly abject. And the fact that it's three tours now, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I will in four years' time. I'm sure I'll get excited about it. And who knows what will have happened in four years' time that the teams could be in completely different places. Maybe some exciting young players will have come through for England. Who knows? It, it, might, be, it might be totally different in four years. It is a long time, as you say. But right now, the idea of another Ashes tour, if it was going to be, you know, next winter, that just, that's not an appealing prospect because this has been pretty miserable viewing, more or less from start to finish, which makes you wonder why we chose to do a daily podcast about it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, but my main emotion now is, is relief that it's over. And I imagine a lot of neutrals feel that way too, or more likely they lost interest some time ago and just stopped watching. And it, but as you said, well, we'll talk about Australia. They they were a little bit, their celebrations were relatively muted. I mean, they'd already won the Ashes two tests ago, but, you know, I think they appreciate that this is not the kind of glorious historic triumph that, 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 that it could be seen as. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like, it feels pretty joyless. I think, the, like, as in the series, felt pretty joyless. And you get the sense that England weren't exactly thrilled about being there. It's been a real, a real disappointment to me, this. It's not, I thought England would lose and lose heavily, but I thought it would be more enjoyable than this. Yeah, I mean, the, the BT... Well, maybe we'll come on to BT, won't we, in a bit, but the, the sort of the BT Ashes music will, if I ever hear that refrain again, <laughs> will, will just set me into some sort of... <laughs> misery spiral i think yeah um it's just the the, the juxtaposition between I, I i don't know i can't remember who that that piece of music's by or what, what track it is um but the juxtaposition between the kind of the really like b- bouncy optimistic upbeat music that's played you know the bookends kind of 
every wicket and uh, or you know every every moment and obviously if the wickets sort of fall in, in quicker and quicker succession it's like some sort of I don't know it's like a torture it's horrible <laughs> Saturday morning was just grim it's some kind of like Darren Brown thing that in 10 years time <laughs> yeah. in 10 years they'll play that to you and you'll like rob a bank or something yeah so I don't know yeah no I think we sort of we, we talked about it a bit on the, on the Ashes Dailies but yeah just the whole thing the whole um, palaver just kind of speaks to yeah but a, a slightly a somewhat sort of sad place I mean that said, when you when you talk about you know if, I don't know whether the kids would agree, you know to me still like sort of BBC sport website is the kind of the arbiter of what's important sporting wise, and I know it's not quite true because obviously the BBC tend to um, you know tend to emphasise or highlight or give much greater prominence to the stuff that they've got rights to, and you know obviously they had rights to show clips and stuff in this. Um, I mean, certainly if you're, you know, the Ashes were a big deal if you're a regular BBC Sport website visitor over the last six weeks. But I, I mean, I don't know, you know, were the Ashes all over TikTok? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think TikTok are quite big sponsors of, of Cricket Australia, but, you know, was there, was there cut through to the youth? Possibly not. Yeah, was there a cut through to the youth on TikTok? Uh, to all, all the kids watching live and kicking on a Saturday morning when they... Uh... <laughs> Were they hearing much about the cricket? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think what you said before is a kind of it's a you know it's just a bit sad. I mean, I just I do just feel sad about it. And obviously, the the reason for all this joylessness, or one of the reasons, is because England is so bad. So you know, it's it's or they're they're so far yeah. away from competing in Australia. So that for me, Australia, Australian fans, you know, and Australian, you know, administrators, Australian cricket should want England to get better. Um, they don't necessarily need to lend a hand, but it's like, if the Ashes are going to continue to be one of the great occasions in sport, England just have to get better. There has to be a big improvement in, in the way Red Bull cricket is organised in England. And and that's I think that's true for Test cricket generally. Like We talked about this before, but Test cricket can't really afford many more teams to become bad. <laughs> Um, and but it can probably least of all afford England to come bad to become bad because they, you know, they they do prop up financially a lot of other nations. You know, England going to the West Indies or whatever. A lot of these countries do depend on it, and the Ashes and the India series and so on. And that is not necessarily a good thing, but it, it just is the fact that that Test cricket is hugely dependent on England as it is on India as well. And you know, this it, this might be a huge overreaction, but I, it's not like this is one kind of shocking series that's you know series loss that's come out of the blue like that we've been heading this way for a long time i mean there are some caveats here you know obviously covid being a big one also australia are a good team i'm not sure that we know exactly how good a team um because that you know because of the standard of opposition they've been playing here but but certainly their bowlers are world class there there are there is a bit of mitigation but it's not just the fact they've lost. It's not even the fact they've lost 4-0. It's the fact that they've just not even been in it. You know, they've, they've not managed to post 300 in 10 attempts with the bat. And they've been absolutely nowhere near winning a single one of these games. So they're just, they're light years away from it. And for me, this is as low a moment as English cricket has had in my lifetime. And, you know, people have compared, we, we talked with the, the old London correspondent, Gordon McRae, and, you know, we we're kind of, he was sort of 
comparing it to uh, 99 and, and the, the, the series loss against New Zealand when they were um, bottom of the world rankings. But I do, I think this is substantially worse. And I, I, I think a lot of those 90s guys would stroll into this team. <laughs> um, and you're right. Like, I, I, I don't quite know what I wanted from these last two games and from, and from this last game in particular, because obviously as a fan, I, I'm always rooting for England to do well, to do well. But to some extent, it may not be the worst thing that they they lost in the way they did at the end because there was a just a narrative starting to build that perhaps you know that, that they might be able to 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 dress it up as just what well, was a bad three tests or you know then and they they showed later in the series that they're a better team than that but you know they're not a better team than that this is how good a team they are and there's you know change is needed i don't we'll talk about it we'll talk about it now i don't know exactly <laughs> i don't know exactly what change is needed or there, there, there's there's it's going to be very complicated rather uh it's difficult but some kind of change is needed and that conversation has to start now yeah definitely i mean uh, yeah just uh, in terms of the series as a whole i mean that's the thing is that like it, it's just that you know it, that no none of the england batsmen put their hand up and actually and actually sort of dug in and, and fought you know, there was there was a couple of bright spots. Obviously, you know, Bearstow getting his century, um, but other than that, it was just so limp. And I, I think that you know, it, it was obviously considerably worse than 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 previous heavy defeats, where you know there were kind of there were some signs of life and signs of a fight. I mean, there are you know, as you say, there are there are caveats. Um, you know, the build up was was effectively non-existent. Uh, you know, England's kind of talisman quote unquote Ben Stokes, you know, has, has been has had, a, has had a very difficult year and was parachuted in at the last minute and then basically played through um through injury in the end. Um so you know in, England weren't as well I mean I, this whole idea that England were the best prepared you know they've ever been for the Ashes, I mean I don't know that that just surely can't be the case. I mean obviously uh they they have been preparing for the Ashes for some time, and or, you know the idea that, that the, the summer series would kind of build up to this series. Um, you know, you don't have to go that far back to, to when uh, you know an England side going down under would have played several tour matches. You know, I'm looking at 2003 here, and they played they played nine tour matches in and around or before and during the series. You know, there there is almost no comparison to that. Yeah, it, it does. It does alleviate some of perhaps the direct criticism on the, the players themselves, you know, on the tour. But that would be, you know, that would be all well and good had it not been for a very, very disappointing year in which England have been uh, like ruthlessly outplayed for most of the year, uh, and during which time, you know, Joe Root's runs have effectively bailed England out. Sort of time and time again, and, and and when those runs dried up, you know England didn't really have anything left to offer. So, yeah, it's not an isolated instant. This, of course. So, um, yeah, but 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 how do you solve it? I mean, there's the the, the the issue of the coach, there's the captaincy, there's the batting. You can probably say the bowling in the bowling department. Short aside from the spinner, you know the pace attack have done well in this series and perhaps would have done better had they been a given a bit more opportunity to rest in between spells by England's batsmen and the selections have been better and, and the, the right players have played in the right matches. Um, 
But uh, yeah, other than that, then you've got county cricket, the international schedule, the domestic schedule, the focus on white ball, red ball, um, the issue of, of you know, how many kids are playing the sport and, and where those kids are coming from, how they're being coached, how they're then being brought into the first class game. All of these things have been cited as, as where England are going wrong. But, you know, not many of those issues seem to be very obvious in terms of, of how you solve them. Um, and certainly not very obvious in terms of how you solve them for four years' time, or even just you know forgetting this whole focus on, on that England will have on on the Ashes. How do you solve it for the next year's Test matches? You know, if we can't find kind of immediate remedies, then you wonder where England are going to be at the end of this year. There, there, there doesn't appear to be any easy matches for England at the moment. Yeah, well, and and also it is um, yeah, it's it's it, whatever the solution is if, if indeed one can be found it is going to be long term because it, it's probably going to be about you know developing young players um because as we talked about a lot you know the, you have to go back to to really 2012 when joe root made his debut for the last time in england an english batsman actually came in and did well in test cricket and then before that jonathan trot in 2009 so you know we're talking more than a decade you know that is a whole generation so it, it we're looking to the next generation to to come through with more of the skills needed uh, that you know that at the, at the that's the earliest opportunity really so i mean that that could be overstating it but but i'm with you tain that i i i am very uh, glum about the situation because for all the talk that is going on now and the, the conversation that is starting there's a lot of different ideas flying around, but in terms of how you fix it, I just don't know that, you know, some of what's being talked about as being possible solutions or what could possibly help. I just don't know if, if it's feasible, if it's viable, you know, yeah, as you say, clearly, like, I think it, I, I don't think you can deny that it would help if they played tour matches leading in and during. And obviously the pandemic has made that even more difficult, but, but even pre COVID, there were maybe one or at most two tour matches. It's not like 20 years ago. It's certainly not like 30, 40 years ago. Um, and I do think it would help. And, it's, and England are not alone in this. You know, it, generally around the world, teams have found it difficult to win away from home in the last five to 10 years. Um, and this, I think that, that has to be one of the reasons. But what's the solution there because there just isn't there isn't room in the schedule for it i mean or at least there, there there would be or there could be room in the schedule if all that mattered was how do we make test cricket as good as it can be how do we make england the best test team they can be but obviously there are other priorities and priorities that have you know that kind of financial imperative and there's you know the franchise leagues and so on it's just it's just not going to happen is it so no and i think the other thing with that is it's only going to get harder, you know, and, and cricket quite rightly wants to bring in new blood, new nations, yeah, to develop new markets for one of the, you know, for one of the less commercial word. And so if you think about, yeah, I don't know, yeah, let's just say, US, you know, places like USA, it, where there is a huge ambition to develop cricket, and particularly where the ICC wants to, to do stuff, you know, these, there are going to be more and more short form teams to play against there are going to be more more short form tournaments so the 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 squeeze on test cricket is only going to get worse which is for fans of test cricket quite yeah it would be quite troubling i'm sure 
yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are some aspects to it which could be more tractable. They do need to look at when the county championship is played. Um, it's obviously squeezed into the kind of margins of the season. It's played in April. It's played in September. It's no longer played in the height of summer. And that clearly has a big effect on pitches. It mean, you know, it's harder for the spinners at, at those times. It's harder for batsmen at those times because you get people like Darren Stevens, you know, they're, they're the sort of um, premier bowlers uh, to, to a certain extent, bowling kind of 70 mile an hour or whatever. And, you know, this was, this was much talked about during the series, but the, the, uh, the Australian batsmen who have played counter cricket in recent years apparently have a WhatsApp group called Steve-O's going to get you because it's not the, the thing is, I don't even know that it's, you can necessarily say that it's bad it's like as in that the cricket is bad in in those circumstances. It's just that it bears no relation to the kind of cricket that they'll face at test level. So, uh, so that WhatsApp group is what that means is that the Australian batsmen, yeah, had very you know a lot of them had poor records in the championship and poor records against the likes of Darren Stevens because they're then they're not used to this. They're they're rocking up. It's dark. You know, it's like gloomy conditions overcast the ball's hooping around and they're getting hit below the knee roll trapped lbw and that's the kind of cricket that young english batsmen are, are being you know being sort of nurtured on and it just bears no relation at all to test cricket so moving it to the middle of the summer isn't going to fix everything but has got to be a step at least um but obviously now one of the the obstacles to that is the hundred and the fact that the hundred is the is occupying that kind of uh, prime real estate in the middle of the summer. And there, you know, there's a lot of chat around now about the hundred and I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, oh, well, it's absurd. How can you blame the hundred? And actually um, Owen Morgan today said something about this. Morgan described it as laughable to blame the hundred for the Ashes defeat. For me, it's not that the hundred, like obviously it would be illogical to kind of suggest that the hundred has somehow all of a sudden after one season, the hundred has ruined everybody's technique. And that, you know, it's because these batsmen played the hundred that suddenly they can't play test cricket. So it's not like there's, it's not directly the hundred's fault this, but for me, it's that the existence of the hundred, the fact that the hundred exists at all and is happening in the middle of the season is the, the kind of has been the ECB focus, the ECB's focus over the last few years, that the existence of the hundred is a kind of blinding symptom of the you know the misalignment of priorities at the ECB and the fact that the the, the county championship has has had to be deprioritized to accommodate it yeah quite i mean like, like in terms of sort of how you map out the season it, it's probably a good opportunity now i mean i think you kind of can't escape the fact that they've introduced a new format during a pandemic so it's kind of hard it is still quite hard to to know exactly well They've got a good opportunity potentially now, given the the, the appetite there the, yeah, there appears to be among the cricket public in in England coming out of the pandemic to reshape that schedule and make it um, make it work for more parties. I it's so difficult though, isn't it? Because you know any changes you're going to ask county cricket to make, there is a, a self preservation uh, kind of mentality because you know the eighteen counties all want to exist and. Yeah, if you cut or move or yeah. um, reshape stuff, you know, how do you get one on board? I think it, it's Turkey's voting for Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, 
it's hard to, to, to sort of see a way out. I mean, yeah, in terms of the money, yeah, whether the county championship is a, is a money spinner, clearly it isn't. So you would think, yeah, if the blast can be maintained and, and nourished alongside the 100, that there's got to be room for a slightly more focused uh, first-class game in England that can produce good cricket for England, that can, um, as you say, better replicate the kind of circumstances and the quality that, that they'll face, that players will face at international level. I know I, you probably would have seen uh, Jonathan Agnew's suggestion of a, of a sort of first class, a top flight first class system effectively mapped onto the hundreds franchises with two extras. I mean, that, you know, coming from him, that is, that's a fairly significant, fairly significant sort of suggestion, isn't it? Into the, into the mix. Um, yeah, blocking out some sort of high quality um, opportunity for, for first class cricket to be delivered in a yeah in a more productive way would be has got to be kind of moved up the priority list. You know, I guess ECB's perspective, you know, getting the hundred off the ground and making that success will obviously have been the priority of the last couple of years. And you don't want to give them too much slack because they've that they shoot themselves in the foot all too regularly. And the idea that you know that the, those bonuses were paid out um, just last year. It was kind of faintly ludicrous, but I guess over the last couple of years, getting the hundred off the ground, all the challenges with rearranging it will have been, I presume, fairly time-consuming. But you'd have to say the opportunity is here now, and as I say, the appetite is here now. That if they don't make changes, you, you do wonder if there is a way back uh, on the kind of the Red Bull front. This Bayfield report is going to make scintillating reading, isn't it? I hope you're getting uh, stuck in. Have you got a first draft yet? I've been up all night, saying. What would you do though? What What can you give us? The, what's this sort of executive summary? Well, the the Agni proposal is interesting. I don't I don't know if I necessarily. Well, I don't really know what I what I think about that exactly. But I do where I would agree with him, and this is not necessarily a very popular opinion um, amongst some of our listeners. But like uh, for me, I I own, I'm only interested in the Council Championship as a kind of pipeline into the England team. You know, as you say that it's one of the problems here is that the 18 counties all you know have that self-interest and self-preservation motive really bluntly like i don't really care that much about like how leicester should do or how um durham do or whatever like I, it's for me it's all about just creating as good a standard of competition as you can in order to develop players for the england team the problem is there's not an easy answer to that if there is any answer at all because so what you're saying is get rid of the counties i'm not, I'm not saying get rid of the counties sell the county grounds for housing not necessarily <laughs> i'm not necessarily going that far but yeah whether whether there is whether it is about creating a, almost like premier league style you know breakaway um with franchises although not necessarily calling them franchises but but a real kind of reset that's the nuclear option i would say i, I would I, I would at least start by moving the cricket back into the the summer months and i would get rid of the hundred but I, you know i, I realize that that's obviously not going to happen um but i just scrap the hundred keep the t20 blast but make the championship the kind of focus of the season but as i say Tony, this is why i am depressed about it because i realize that those things are not going to happen you know the things that I might do or that I would want to see 
are because I the only thing I ultimately care about is Test cricket and making Test cricket and making the England Test team as good as they can be. That that is not the priority of the ECB, and to some extent, understandably so. Not rightly so, but understandably so. It's a very difficult job. There's a lot of, as I said, a lot of competing forces. I think I've made this analogy on the pod before, but it, to me, it's it, you know we've basically got this like cricket internationally, but also on a smaller scale in England is this kind of it's this old fashioned, this old fashioned old sort of walled city that I, I don't know that how can you kind of you can't sort of map modern cricket onto it it would seem at the moment so your, your options really are either you kind of leave it and you 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 sort of tinker around the edges and you repair what you can and you, you kind of you live with its sort of historic beauty and you, you but you realize that all the kids are going to move away and mm. um it's just a sort of museum effectively but a beautiful one and a, a, a frustrating one to live in but one that kind of gives you a nice way of life i guess um or you sort of bulldoze the lot or sort of more, you know, build a new megalopolis on the on the horizon. Just in terms of what can England do now to make or to to produce a better men's Test cricket team, Wood has to go. Hussein was saying that you know he said he was saying that you know, given the how closely aligned coach and captain are and and how much Joe Root will have had a say in the decision making process that he said it. At, at, he as captain, you know, wouldn't be able to let pass the fact that the coach would go and not him. So you know, he, he suggested that, that that both should be removed from those positions. And, and who am I to disagree? But yeah, I, for, for sure, Silver has to go. You know, everyone says he's a nice guy, and that's fantastic. And um, I was pretty disappointed. Well, obviously disappointed in the series, but just his, I mean, his interviews throughout the series have been poor, but. You know, again, at the end, it just doesn't seem hugely bothered by it, and that's not to say uh, he should go out. You know, after the the, the end of the, the test in Hobart and kind of and be sort of ranting and raving or or in tears, but he just looked so. He just came across as so un, un, unbothered by it, and obviously offered up the same kind of the sort of same platitudes and and and, and sort of gloss glossings over that we've heard all series. It's just, I don't know. Uh, you just need so much more, I think. How is Root's position looking at this point? He seems to want to carry on. I'd probably take it off him. Um, and I don't know who I'd give it to. I wouldn't give it to Stokes. Yeah, it's not overflowing in options. Um, I know to Broad has been, has been suggested as a kind of temporary measure, which, you know, probably isn't a bad shout. Yeah, it might not be a bad shout. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, clearly there's not many options, if any, but... I mean, Stokes, Stokes would be a terrible decision, but but I don't mm. think that's really a reason to keep him. And it, you know, I, I not to just repeat things I said before, but Root for me just isn't a lead. He just never seemed like a leader to me. I just, and all through this series, he's just cut a very uninspiring figure. I mean, I can imagine in certain circumstances he could be what's needed. You know, if it's just if all you need, you've got a good team, and you just need someone to go out there and lead by example with the bat. Which Alistair Cook was like that at some time, at some point. You know, I, I can see that. But when the team's kind of underperforming and they need, they well, they need something from the captain. I just, I don't think he's got the. It seems to me from the outside, it doesn't. He doesn't seem to have the kind of force of personality or the man management skill, or the tactical nous to really kind of move the dial 
in any way. And I've seen, you know, people defending him will say, well, you know, no, come on, he, he hasn't got the tools, you know, and, and clearly that's a fair point because we're talking about all these systemic problems and, you know, and, and England have kind of performed as well as we could have expected them to, given everything. But then you might as well make, we might as well make you captain tone in that case. Like if, if all we're saying is, well, it doesn't matter who's the captain, it's not going to make any difference, then well, you know, like surely the whole point is you have a captain and coach to try and make the team better than it is to make it more than the sum of its parts. I don't think it's unfair to say that it really wouldn't, it would make no difference if he wasn't captain. And that's, that's just, that's a bad review, I think. No, and, and we, you know, we want Joe Root to be the best batsman he can be and, and to perform in the, on, you know, on the big occasions, um, which, you know, unfortunately he hasn't, well, he, he scored, uh, you know, bags of runs against India in the summer, but um, what she hasn't done this winter Certainly, Silverwood um, being moved on, I think, is yeah, is, is a definite before before the West Indies. Um, again, I don't know who you get in. Obviously, the, the, you know, Gary Kirsten's been mentioned, um, and he seems keen. So, I, but I don't know. It, it just I, yeah, England just it, it seems like they just need someone a bit firmer and a bit more ruthless and 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 ambitious. And uh, I'm sure Silverwood is ambitious, but for whatever yeah, it just clearly hasn't worked um, and it hasn't been the ideal timing for him but it, it's tough at the top I, I guess mm. Can the England bowlers hold their heads up high after this series tone or is that is that too generous? Yeah I don't know I think they, they mostly can I, I mean yeah Australia still got away didn't they um, a few times uh, you know it, yeah, England did their fair share of damage as well at times, you know, Australia were bought up for 155. Okay, they declared an awful lot, didn't they, um, in the series? And as I said at the start, you know, you know, I think most observers would agree that the, the, the right, the, you know, the, the players weren't played at the right times. Um, you know, Wood has, has had a, a terrific series. Um, you know, Robinson looked really dangerous, and the fitness issues have been quite well publicised, particularly over the last week. Um, but you'd assume that that would be fairly straightforward to, to sort out. And, you, and, and, and people have asked kind of why that wasn't identified kind of before the series. It's not like he's only just kind of coming to the side. You know, he's been, yeah, England's, England's coaches will have been working with him for, um, for several months. Now, certainly a fit Ollie Robinson looks the part. Broad did very well. Yeah, clearly there's still an issue with the spinner and, and Leach wasn't wasn't trusted and didn't have a didn't have a particularly effective series obviously yeah I don't know I don't know I don't think the bowlers could have done a huge amount more and, and then there was the drop catches as well so um yeah. I'm sure they won't be sort of I'm sure the bowlers won't be kind of reveling in it on the way back and, and sort of you know putting their feet up but yeah they, they probably escaped some criticism I think yeah it didn't it didn't always go well there were certainly times and innings where they didn't bowl well and, and actually the first innings in Hobart would be one of those and to some extent that's where this game was lost, given the way the rest of the game played out. It was very low scoring after that, and you know it was it was it was Travis Head and Cameron Green that partnership there getting Australia up to three hundred. England did the England bowlers did let them get away there, um, but yeah, generally and certainly compared with the batting, um, they've had a much better time with it. And, and Mark Wood is probably the one England cricketer who leaves with his reputation truly enhanced um 17 wickets at, at 26 in the series and he, he deserved more than that really he, he bowled his heart out all the way through 
the one thing I would say though is, you know, coming into it, I I thought that Mark Wood would have a huge part to play in this series, um, and you know, and was kind of excited about the idea of a, of a, a you know England having this genuinely lightning bowler, which they haven't they hadn't had on the on the last couple of tours, and he was. I mean, I think I saw a great stat that he bowled. I think he's he produced uh, is it nine out of ten or even eight or something called fourteen out of fifteen of England's fastest spells in Australia this century. Yeah. So I thought he'd have this huge role to play. And as I say, he has been excellent throughout and he, he he deserved more than he got. But I still feel a slight twinge of disappointment and not with him or the way he's bowled, but just with the the fact that it didn't quite happen for him until the final day of the series. You know, he he took those uh, six wickets on the final day and and that's really, you know, changed the look of his his figures. But until then, as I say, he he deserved more, but he he wasn't, he didn't actually have that kind of transformational impact until then when it was obviously all all far too late so that that was just a bit unfortunate i think um yeah again though uh, you know again he only played four tests but he didn't play the second test and yeah i mean just the decision making um from england's camp i don't know it was just fairly pathetic really you know bringing players in and out and stuff um i get that they're trying to look after the players but if they're that's all. It's all, almost an admission that they're, you know, they're not. They weren't trying to win the series. They were just trying to get through it. Um, which you don't want to be too ruthless. But the whole point is to, to to win Test matches. The whole point is of going down there is to try and win the matches. So, um, yeah, why? Don't, yeah, they, they. That was a frustrating. Yeah, it leaves a bit of a bitter taste in in my mouth for sure. Okay, well, we'll leave it there on on England at least for now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? What are we like an hour in or something? But. Um, uh, Australia, Tony. We've kind of alluded to this already, but in a way, it's kind of how it's hard to know what conclusions to draw about Australia. You know, they, they've obviously won, won comprehensively, won four nil, one wicket away from five nil, and yet to some extent, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how how what what we can say about how good a team they are. I mean, Pat Cummins in the in the post match press has said that it kind of you know it feels like they're building towards something big. And maybe they are, but then, as we've talked about at length, the opposition they face really has been substandard. England have been so dismal, so it's not to say it's not to take anything away from Australia, but it, it's just kind of hard to draw conclusions. I think, but I, I don't know what what do you reckon, Tane? Yeah, no, I agree. That it, um, yeah, England didn't put up enough of a fight to to be too sure of just how good this Australian team are. I mean, equally, you can't sort of, you can't really fault them much at all um they all contributed as a unit i suppose didn't they like yeah almost everybody in the squad played played some part at some point now i suppose the only sort of thing you could say is that the fact that jai richardson came in and did well michael nisa came in and did well kawaja came back in after you know a long time out the side and did well scott bowden came in and did extraordinarily well now was that is that just because they're all really good players and they're all you know they they came into a, a, a good settled side and you know or was it because England are just generally poor or by the time even after the first test you know when when Richardson and, and Lisa came in um, were England already shot mentally and and those players were able to to capitalise I don't know but for me probably the most significant thing that's happened in this series is the emergence of Cameron Green. Um, who was obviously fantastic all the way through 
particularly with the ball or, or at least initially with the ball and you know came came into it a, a bit more with the back towards the end he you know it's, it's dangerous to, to to kind of rush to comparisons but he is starting to remind me of Andrew Flintoff tone you know it's partly the kind of the height and the 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 big unitness of him but also like the the bounce that he gets and and that and the the knack he seemed to have of of making kind of crucial breakthroughs and and taking key wickets and yeah he, he took the first three wickets in that um uh, England collapse uh, in Hobart so it, very very impressive it is uh, a worry <laughs> for the rest of the world that Australia do have a kind of world class all rounder now or pretend you know someone who's going to become a world class all rounder yeah he looks he looks like he's got an immense I mean not just immense promise but also um yeah, produced just big wickets in me. He, he 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 got rid of batsmen who were did any England batsman ever look set? But he got rid of batsmen that were at least beginning to get set. And and, and yeah, and he had a, yeah he finished the series so strongly as well. Thirteen wickets at, at fifteen. Yeah, it's a it's a, a yeah worrying prospect. And when you yeah when you mix into that um, that side, you know Cummins who he just seems to be getting better and better. Um, yeah, Hazelwood barely played. It, you know, it, it, Australia have got some some phenomenal um, assets to call upon. Uh, oh, it's going to be a very tough decision when Josh Hazelwood comes back. And then, if you think in the they've they've got three trips to the subcontinent this year, um, you know they they may play two spinners. You know, which means potentially leaving out two of the seamers from this from this attack. But and that's another of the the things the, the kind of incredibly encouraging from an Australian perspective things about Cameron Green's emergence is that when they are going to the subcontinent this year you know Green the existence of Green means that they you know because he can hold his own as part of a three-man seam attack so they can play two spinners and have those five bowlers have have the seamers it just really changes the complexion of of, of that assignment so yeah um, massive massive thing massive development for Australia I would say Travis Head finished as the leading run scorer in the series. I don't think we'd have predicted that coming in. Average 59 with, with two centuries and, and was really quite sort of dazzling batting at times. The pace at which he, the tempo at which he scored was, was so impressive. What, and what's been interesting, and again, probably kind of troubling uh, for England and the rest of the world, is that the, the key players for Australia in this series have been the, the fringe players, or at least the kind of less heralded players, you know, with the exception of Cummins and Stark, who've obviously... You know, who've obviously um, been terrific. The, the the big the big names in the team that we were worried about coming in: Steve Smith, Dave Warner, Manus Labuschagne, Josh Hazelwood, have all had pretty quiet series at best. And you know, I said this on Ashes Daily, but, but maybe the most disappointing thing about this from an England point of view is that Steve Smith has actually had a very quiet series. He, he finished with an average of thirty. And you know, given how totally he dominated the last two Ashes series, if you'd told me that beforehand, I would have been absolutely delighted. But yet, you know, the England have, have been utterly humiliated despite that. There, there are perhaps the first stirrings of some doubts about Smith, or at least that, that you know, that might be overstating it. But it, it, it is fair to say that his form in the last couple of years has taken a dip. Now, he hasn't played a huge amount of cricket because Australia haven't played a huge amount of test cricket in those couple of years. But his test average after this series has dropped below 60 for the first time in a long time. Now, that in itself is a fairly remarkable sentence to sort of say that as you know in it 
as a kind of ooh, it's gone below sixty. Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> not many batsmen have ever averaged sixty. But and clearly, everybody has bad patches. But there, there's just a, there is a question about whether a weakness has been exposed in, in Smith's technique because that the dip in form started when he got rattled by Jofra Archer in England in 2019, and then New Zealand did the same to him. Bold, short, bold, you know, short, hostile stuff at him that Australian summer. And Mark Wood has unsettled him in this series. So, you know, easier said than done to just bowl like incredibly fast at him. Um, but that that is a, a question that he's going to have to, you know, a challenge that he's going to have to deal with. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely no doubt that he, when he retires, which is probably still a few years away, but he is going to retire as one of the best players of this era. But there's perhaps still some work in front of him if he's going to be remembered as one of the best players of all time, which a couple of years ago he was on course to be potentially in the, you know, the top handful. Um, there's, yeah, it's perhaps just a little bit more work for him to do now. It's not a sort of bad, not a bad place to be when your, your average is, is just, you know, when there's a crisis, when you're dipping just below 60 um, after 82 matches. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, given the sort of obsessional, Kind of process that got him to where he got to. You, you, you definitely back him to back him to come through this little spell and and you know be scoring some big runs again soon. Particularly, I suppose, you know, it's, it's a nice situation to have your sort of sort of like dodgy running or, or or you know your less impactful running when you've got yeah you know, potentially a very you know, very good bowling attack and when the batsmen that are coming in and around you are are coming in and doing well and takes the pressure off slightly. Do you want a composite eleven tone? Oh, I'd love one. Uh, I actually haven't gone back. I haven't gone back to review what my composite eleven was before the series. But I think it was it was something like six Australians and four England players. Or, or uh, sorry, that doesn't add up, does it? Six and five, or maybe seven and four. It was six Australians, four England players, and a South African. Anyway, this is what I've got this time. See what you make of this. Uh, Warner, Harris, Labashane, Kawaja. Head, Green, Carey, Stark, Cummins, Boland, Lyon. There's eleven Australians there. Wow, well, there you go. Is that the first time you've ever we've ever had a composite eleven compo- composed composited of uh, of just one team? I think it is. I think it must be. I mean, I w- I would say yeah, there. Usually chuck in yeah. Usually usually chuck in one or two from the from the the losing side just for kind of good measure, but. I mean, it's tough to see anyone earning their place. Well, this is it. I mean, I've, and I thought, I was like, can I? Can I do this? <laughs> can I get away with this? But actually, who would you pick? I mean, because obviously, you know, England stand-up player, Mark Wood, there's a strong case for him, but you, how could he leave out Stark Cummins or Boland? Australia, there are a, a couple of players in there who haven't had great series like Harris and, and Alex Carey, but actually their equivalents had worse. So I, I can't really look beyond that. No, I, I mean, I can't disagree with it, I have to say. I'm struggling to find a way. Do you want to give us a, a final word on the, the BT coverage, Tony? You talked about the theme tune. I mean, yeah, it was fine. I just think, yeah, it, just a bit, the whole situation I thought was just a bit messy. Um, you know, the, the commentary situation, the fact that you had a sort of mix of, yeah, a couple of commentators down there. We see like Gower popped up sort of midway through the series. Um, you know, otherwise it's 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 commentators from you know watching on on 
you know, on the screen back home. Then the sort of pitch side stuff, um, the, the studio stuff, the fans on Zoom. I don't know. I, it just it just lacked for me. It lacked a bit of gravitas and a bit of um, yeah, a kind of uh, yeah. A, a, it, it, I mean, it very much reflected yeah the interest in the series as a whole, didn't it? It was just kind of just a bit tired. Yeah, it was definitely a, a bit half assed. It was definitely a marked uh, drop off from the, the what we usually expect to see on on Sky Sports. But it, and it perhaps underlines what a, what a great job Sky Sports do on the cricket. It is um, for me, it's it, it's the best coverage of sport that I've seen. Um, I would say Gower was great. Uh, I, I thought he was excellent and when they got their commentary team in place it it was an improvement for sure um but yeah i agree yeah that, look that... i don't i don't want to be too hard yeah i don't want to be too harsh i mean i know that that clearly the there were there were sort of yeah extenuating circumstances or issues of beyond their control heading into it um but yeah yeah Looking forward it, to it, it being back on sky at some point i mean it, it massively missed atherton and hussein didn't it and I think, you know, BT do some fantastic coverage. Um, I, you know, I really like their football coverage. I know, you know, everyone bashes something, but um, it just, you, you know, Sky have set a very high benchmark with both the production quality and the personnel over the last X number of years. Um, so, yeah, quite tough to match. And they do a magnificent landline as well, BT, don't they? And I, I've <laughs> speaking as someone who's making dozens of prank calls a day, yeah, um, it really I, pays. I could really vouch for BT. Um, very quickly, I just want to say one of the revelations of the series for me, Steve Finn on Test Match Special. I thought he was superb. I didn't hear any Test Match Special, but that's really? good. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. How have you managed that? I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Didn't bother. Just had it on, uh, had it on, on, you know, phone, TV, whatever in the background. Oh, I was I was popping it on in the, if I woke up in the night. But anyway, yeah, he he was uh, he was great. He was excellent. Um, anyway, Tane, uh, we really can we just, just can we? Yeah, on. it's gone really long. I just wanted to mention just the, the I don't know the absurd kind of um, mounted out of a molehill story that's uh, that's just kind of put, put a bit of an embarrassing full stop on the series. That, oh yeah, you know, the, the the players being. Um, a raucous after party being shut down at 6am in Hobart. Um, I don't know. Have you seen the video? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just about the tamest police intervention you'll likely to see. Um, it, yeah. If anyone hasn't seen it, yeah, basically yeah, a couple of players from each side, Root, Anderson, um, Nathan Lyon, Travis Head, um, sitting around having a few beers on, on this outside kind of terrace at to be fair six a.m. when uh, when they were supposedly um, shut down for a, a noise complaint, so the you know, the police turned up and basically asked them to go to bed. Um, it did make me laugh when you know when I read the I read the Daily Mail article first, which which had the video hosted and um, the just the description, the over the top description of you know tables covered in beer bottles and. And all this stuff. It was a very, very tame thing. But the, the, the most absurd aspect of it really is that Graham Thorpe filmed it and then yeah. somehow that footage got out and that sort of and it goes around and yeah, kind of name checks everyone that's there. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, we, I, we, yeah, I was chatting to someone. Uh, yeah, we were chatting about it earlier. Like, did, did he just? Yeah, it was six a.m. They'd obviously had a few beers. I mean, they didn't look like that that worse aware. They were quite, you know, it was obviously things had if they were any more raucous earlier had wound down. But um, do you think he sort of posted that video before? Yeah, you know, in a slightly kind of hazy, drunken state before he went to sleep at six a.m. and then woke up like a couple of hours later to see it. Yeah, to see it sort of all over the place and people. Yeah, jumping down their throats a bit. Well, he probably thought it was a work event, Tone. So he, he didn't see any. There you go. Didn't see any harm. Yeah, yeah, it was a work event. It was nice though. It was. It was good to see them. Yeah, still in their whites um, at six a.m. after the test. So yeah, I did enjoy that aspect of things. <laughs> yeah, we've been there, haven't we? We've all been there. <laughs> um, um, anyway, we better we better wrap it up. I think we do. Need we do to wrap India. It up. We'll do India, South Africa, a bit more in India next week. I know we've said that before, but we're going to have to. I think. Um, because yeah, otherwise we're going to talk about it for like 30 seconds and that is not going to do justice to what was a fantastic series so yeah I think yeah. we're going to have to come back uh, next week to talk about that uh, What I mean yeah the, the ashes is over Tone what are we going to talk about are you just glad it's over at this point or will you miss it will you miss the dailies should we do Caribbean daily uh, will I miss the dailies I don't know I, I've got the bug yeah. now Tone I've got the daily, the daily bug I mean, give it a go. Let's let's give it a go. Is this going to become a thing? We're going to be doing dailies in like ten years' time. Just going to just going to keep doing daily podcasts, even when there's no cricket um, happening. So there's a bit of cricket around, isn't there, at the moment? There's loads. Well, there's actually. Oh no! Well, come on, you tell me. Well, there's the under nineteen World Cup, isn't there, at the moment? Yeah, it's just started. Um, England are in West Indies, aren't they? For uh, for five T twenties. As you pointed out to me before we started, um, the first of those T20s is on Saturday, which is slightly absurd. Um, so that's something to look forward to. I am looking forward to those. Uh, it feels like it's a kind of it's a, a, a palate cleanser. Yeah, I just, I just, and it, because you know they'll be on a, a great time as well, a much better time uh, than you know than the middle of the night. No, just 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 good old fashioned entertainment, really, and I don't have to invest so much emotionally in it. Exactly, we can just enjoy it. I mean, yeah, just looking forward to seeing, yeah, Liam Livingston deposit white balls, kind of all over the Caribbean, but not quite all because it's all in Barbados. It's all in Barbados. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, if he can, if he can get those white balls all over the Caribbean, <laughs> it'd be fairly impressive. Uh, and then the, did you mention this? The women's ashes starts. The women's ashes start. Yeah, very soon. So yeah, plenty of cricket to talk about. Well, let's yeah, we'll bring it this one to an end there, and we'll come back next week. I was going to say we will have a break. For a couple of weeks but actually we've just uh, talked ourselves into doing another podcast next week lord knows we've earned a break tone but there's there's no rest for the wicked so we'll have to have to come back to talk about all of that um have you enjoyed this one tone it's been well it's been all right isn't it i would say it's been cathartic but it's kind of i, I don't know i still feel like there's, there's more in there yeah, yeah there's definitely more in there it's been cathartic more pain. it got quite heavy at times hopefully the next one we can do in person cool well between now and then get more involved in the world cricket show on social media we're on facebook twitter instagram not tiktok do you think we should get on tiktok i don't know don't know if i can be bothered you got any ideas for content um yeah well let's let's see what we do let's see what we can do i mean you literally do content for a job don't you so you do video content for a job so well anyway yeah Yeah. we're on social media send us an email worldcricketshow at gmail.com uh but that is everything that i have to say stay in school everybody and we'll see you next time cheers tone yeah cheerio
well done everyone for sticking it through <laughs> we made it we got to we the end of the ashes god for that bye bye for now yeah. I can smell your fear. Ba da da ba 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 da da ba ba.